How many of y'all remember the Klondike bar commercials? How many of y'all remember the Klondike? What's that? Anybody want to sing it? What would you do for a Klondike bar? Awesome. Excellent. Let's see. Am I on here? Good. I can get rid of this. All right. So... Um, you have the older commercials that, you're, that were out in like the 70s or so, 70s, 80s, and they would start this way. They'd have an interviewer go up to somebody and they'd say, hey, would you uh, be willing, he's always in like a public setting, would you be willing to, and then they'd say something, you know, and always something crazy, something that was maybe a little bit embarrassing, uh, be willing to make chicken noises or, or uh, sound like a monkey or, you know, uh, do weird things. And everybody was like, no. And they were like, well, how about for a Klondike bar. And of course, the person would start clucking like a chicken or making monkey noises and stuff like that. And uh, um, uh, the person would do whatever it was that the interviewer asked for, and then they'd be given a Klondike bar for their, for their trouble, for their embarrassment. Uh, the jingle then would come across, what would you do for a Klondike bar? And that would be the end of the, uh, the uh, Klondike bar. Yeah, They're not as popular now, but it's, it's like, it's like a... a Chocolate covered, like a chocolate dipped uh, popsicle thingy, but without the stick. It's so thick and creamy that you can't fit a stick. That was, that was the slogan, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so the idea of the commercial is, of course, that, that Klondike bars are delicious, and you'd be willing to do anything for them, even if that meant something that would normally be embarrassing. Uh, these commercials evolved later on to, uh, to the 90s, uh, they would start asking professional, you know, they, the interviewer would go up to a professional athlete and start saying, hey, instead of uh, doing this, would you do this? And, you know, they'd be like, no. So they're going to go up to somebody that was uh, a NASCAR racer and they'd say, hey, how about in your next race, would you be willing to, uh, to drive a pedal, a pedal powered car? And of course, you know, the NASCAR racer would be like, no. And uh, the interviewer would say, I've got a Klondike bar. And then the next scene, of course, would be, uh, a NASCAR race with this race car driver pedaling a, a pedal-powered car during the race, right? All so that he could get the Klondike bar. Or they'd go to professional golfers and say, hey, would, would you give up professional golfing uh, and change it or trade it for uh, a miniature golf? Uh, of course not. And then, I got a Klondike bar. And, uh, and then the next scene would be uh, that said professional golfer you know, playing putt-putt or something like that and being really happy about it. You know, why? Because he's getting a Klondike bar at the end of it. Uh, so, you know, and then they'd, they'd end up with, uh, with the jingle, and I'm not going to sing it again. Uh, but they had other commercials, too. And, uh, and Ian, go ahead and put on my favorite Klondike bar commercial. Make sure the volume is up. Here we go. Pete Herman brought his glass into the kitchen and put it in the dishwasher. Give that guy a Klondike bar. My favorite Klondike bar commercial. All right. Uh, so there's that. Y'all can go ahead and take that off. Uh, so. Uh, my favorite, my favorite Klondike bar commercial. Give that guy a Klondike bar. All right. So, uh, what would you do for a Klondike bar? That's not today's sermon. All right. 
that's not today's question. Today's question is a something that was posed to the American public in 1991. We're going to modify it a little bit, but I'll give you the question first. Okay, In 1991, uh, James Patterson and Peter Kim released a book they, they named The Day America Told the Truth. Okay, and It's a study based on an extensive opinion survey which guaranteed the anonymity of its participants. The results were absolutely shocking. Okay, I'll give you a, a, a sampling of what some of the questions were um, and some of the findings were. Uh, and these were it. Only 13% of Americans, remember this in 1991, things have changed, and some of them not for the better. All right. Uh, at this point, only 13% of Americans saw all Ten Commandments as binding and relevant. 91% uh, they found lie regularly, both at work and in their homes. Most American workers admit to goofing off for an average of seven hours a week, uh, of week of work. So that's almost a whole day of work per week. Uh, half of the workforce admits that they regularly call in sick when they feel perfectly well. Uh, one particular question in the survey was, what would you be willing to do for $10 million. What would you be willing to do for $10 million? And this is where it's really, really stunning. Uh, James Patterson and Peter Kim revealed the shocking statistics uh, of what people would do uh, for $10 million. For $10 million, 25% of the people that they surveyed said that they would abandon their entire family. Uh, 25% said they would abandon their church. 23% uh, said that they would become prostitutes for a week. Uh, 16% said they would give up their American citizenship. 7% said they would murder a perfect stranger. Uh, 25% said that they would leave their spouse for $10 million. Take into account this was in 1991. Okay? I wonder if they were to do that same study, how much things would change for the worse. Okay? Money definitely has changed. In today's world, counting inflation factors since 1991... Uh, the equivalent to $10 million in 91 in today's currency would be $19,310,866.37. So let's just round it off to a good solid $20 million. What would you do for $20 million? What would you be willing to do? What would you be willing to do for $20 million? What would you you do with $20 million? Let's ask that question real quick. I'll take, I'll take a few answers. What would you do if you had $20 million? Marshall, you were the first hand up. <laughs> Keep it until you get a bunch more money. Spoken like a true son of Stephanie. I mean... <laughs> How old is he? He just turned eight? Man, at eight... I just bought like candy, <laughs> a, a bunch of candy, and it would have lasted me three days. All right, let's get an adult, an adult. For, uh, all right, uh, David, what did you do with $20 million? Pay off the farm. Pay off the farm. Uh, let's get a teenager. Ooh, uh, let's see, Kevin. I would buy a $100,000 shotgun and buy you some land. $100,000 shotgun and buy you some land. <laughs> that is. Let's see. Anybody else? Anybody else? Is Jocelyn? A huge mansion so that everybody could live in it? Everybody want to donate to Jocelyn's mansion? For- <laughs> All right. Let's do, let's do one more. Adam. Buy a boat. 
<laughs> boat. What kind of boat? A moon boat, to be exact. A moon boat? Like a moon boat. Uh, okay, sorry. I'm half deaf. Don't buy boats. Don't buy boats. Thank you. I have to check that out then. All right, so that I know what to do with my uh, <laughs> stimulus money. <laughs> Is this the plot of the Italian job? What's that? The plot of the Italian uh, job. No, that's a, that was a good movie though, the Italian job. Anyway, all right. So I'm gonna put you through this scenario. I need I need an adult volunteer for this one. An adult volunteer. Adam. Casey. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Casey's our, our volunteer. Now, you don't have to do anything for this one. Just kind of answer yes or no or stop me when you say, uh-uh, I'm done. It's not worth it. Okay? Um, so I'm going to put you through a scenario. And, um, and, and so let's take $20 million, all right? Where are we going to take it from? I mean, no, hold on. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to promise to give you $20 million, okay? Now, just assume that I have the money to back up that promise, okay? Just uh, for, for sake of... Stimulus money coming in. All right. It's not going to be $20 million. All right. Uh, uh, but I'm not going to tell you when you're going to get it. I'm just going to promise you $20 million. But there's a condition, and the only condition is that you have to follow what I say, and you have to do the things that I tell you to do. If I tell you to move somewhere, you've got to move, that, move to that place. And eventually, $20 million is coming. All right? Would that be all right with you? No. Let's say for sake of argument that you'd be like, okay, let's, <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> no, no, it's guaranteed. It is definitely guaranteed. You can't tell me when. I cannot tell you when. All right. So let's just say for sake of argument I said yes. that you say yes. All right. So uh, 25 years later, still no money. All right. But at this point, you'd be uh, questioning about the money. What would your question, what would your main question be? I know there would be a lot, but what would your main question be? Where is the money? All right. I think that'll probably be all of our questions. We were in the same situation. Where is the money? You promised money. It's been 25 years. No money. And, uh, and so I would come to you and I'd say, look, I'm not going to give you $20 million right now, but I'm going to give you a down payment. That be all right with you? Okay. The down payment's $1,000. Okay? What? Now, it's $1,000. <laughs> now, hold on. <laughs> what? <laughs> now, hold on. This $1,000 is really special. Okay? This thousand dollars represents the twenty million or, or nineteen million, whatever. I don't want to math. Um, the 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 rest of the twenty million dollars that you're going to get later on, and uh, and it's very special. So what I need you to do is just keep it safe, all right? And uh, don't waste it, all right? So uh, so um, twenty years later. So now we've been a total of what forty five years. I say I say Casey. I, <clears throat> I need you, I need you uh, to give me that $1,000 back. Now, this has been your favorite $1,000 because this is the representation of the $20 million that's coming. And, and 45 years after the initial promise, I'm like, Casey, I need that $1,000 back. At that point, what would you say? Here, take it. I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you, you don't want the $20 million or you just don't want the 1000 or, you know... Are you giving up at this point on me? I'm 70 at this point. I don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But I don't just want it back. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take, I want you to take the, uh, the $1,000. You hit it all in ones. So you have $1,001 $1, bills. And then I want you to burn them. 
Not just give them back to me. I want you to burn them. Like, they cease to exist. All right. Like, like, you're... And, yeah, but you're still going to get the rest of the 20 million. Yeah, no, but, but you have to, to get the 20 million, you have to, you have to follow. All right. And it's still coming. I guarantee you it's still coming. All right. The only thing is, uh, is, is now I'm telling you, well, the $20 million is coming, but you're not going to see more than $1,000 of it. And the $1,000, you you're, you're now have to be willing to burn. Uh, the $20 million, however, is going to affect the rest of your generations for forever. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be there uh, for your descendants for forever. You know, I'm sure a lot of people by this point would have been like, no, I'm done. I give up. I'm going to go do whatever I'm doing. Okay, because at this point, I've changed your name. I've moved you from state to state to country. And you've done all this happily because $20 million is coming. <laughs> but now she knows she's only ever going to see $1,000 of it. And it may not be worth it. Okay, how many of you say it's not worth it at this point for me? Well, no, it's for your kids. That's for your kids, though. Oh, there you go. I would let my kid be anything. I would sacrifice 45 years for my kids. Awesome. That's good. <laughs> Look, today we're going to see, we're going to talk about a man that had a promise. The promise was not $20 million. Uh, it was not a Klondike bar. Okay. Uh, there is, however, something about this promise that made it seemingly impossible for him to even get that promise. I want you to go to Genesis chapter uh, 12, verse 1 through 3. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about Abraham's Klondike bar. All right, Abraham's Klondike bar. And uh, before he was Abraham, uh, his name, his given name was Abram. God changed his name later to Abraham. Uh, but we're going to talk about Abram. So if I'll, use, I'll use the name Abram and Abraham uh, interchangeably uh, throughout. I'll try to stick with Abram because that's what he is at this point. Uh, but let's go to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And, uh, bless you. and if you'll read them with me, it says this, Now the Lord hath said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them uh, that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. All right, so we have Abraham who's given this promise of God, okay? Hey, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make of, you, uh, of your descendants a great nation. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless everybody that blesses you. And anybody that curses you, I'm going to curse them. And uh, because of you and your descendants, everybody in the world, all the families of the earth, they are going to be blessed. And, uh, and imagine you being in Abram's spot. You're sitting there, you're, uh, uh, you're Abram, and all of a sudden, God's talking to you. And he makes you this promise. That's an awesome promise. That's worth way more than $20 million. And, uh, and God says, hey, I'm going to do all this blessing for you, but you have to do this. You have to get up, and you have to go. Okay? Our first question would probably be, would probably be where am I going? And, uh, and God didn't tell him where he was gone. He just said, Abram, you just need to get up and go. Get away from your parents. Get away from your kindred, your, your family. Get up and go. I'm going to show you a land someday. <laughs> I'll show you that land. But in the meantime, I just want you to go. And so, so Abram actually does this. But I want to talk about first 
the impossibility of the promise, okay? I want you to forget everything you know about Abraham and Sarah, okay? Abram and Sarai are their first, first names, all right? God changed their names later on. But I want you to forget everything you know about them, okay? I just want you to be where Abram is right now. Kind of uncertain, really cool promise, but you have to know the age that Abram has right now. Abram is 75 years old, and this makes this promise quite impossible for Abram, all right? Um, God tells Abram, yeah, you're going somewhere, but I'm not going to tell you where you're going, and, uh, uh, but, but go, follow me, and I'm going to make of you a great nation and your descendants. And uh, let's talk about the impossibility of this promise, all right? Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Uh, Genesis 12, 4, it says, So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot, that's his nephew, went with him. And Abram was 70 and 5 years old. That's old. Okay? Anybody here 75 years or older? All right? You ready to have another kid, Brother Allen? You, no? <laughs> no. I didn't, I didn't think so. I, just, I, I was curious, though. I figured I'd ask. Um, and not like a grandkid or, or anything, like a kid of your own. <laughs> No, I'm 36, and I don't think I want a newborn now anymore. They're cute, but I don't want it full time anymore. So I'm I'm good with my youngest being how old? Are you? Six. <laughs> You're six, right? Yeah. <laughs> I forget sometimes. Adopt a kid that's your age so you can have a twin. No. The last thing we need in the world is two me's. I'm just kidding. Anyway. So look, Abraham could have said, but God, no, I'm, I'm a little old for a brand new kid. I'm a little old to start a nation. Um, and, and that's impossible, you know, because I'm 75, all right? Not going to work. And, uh, but then there was another impossibility to this promise, all right? Um, there's another impossibility, and the impossibility is Sarah, Sarah's condition, okay, or Sarai, how she started off to be. Uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, or sorry, 29 and 30, it tells us about Sarai. It says, and Abram and Nahor uh, took them wives. Abram and Nahor was Abram's uh, brother. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no children. So not only is Abram getting up in age, but they've been married for a while, and Sarai has had no children. She's barren. She can't have kids. Okay? The impossibility of the promise. This is what I want to kind of look at right now. Um, you have Abram, an old man, and Sarai unable to have kids. And Abram could have made every excuse in the world. And Abraham could have given, like, valid reasons why, God, I, I can't do that. I'm old. Um, I'm kind of at the age where I, want, I, need, I need to know where, when things are happening and where we're going, God. So unless you tell me, I'm not going. But he didn't. He got up and left. He could have said, God, I'm way too old to start a nation from me. You know, I'm way too old to be having kids. And so is Sarai. And not only that, but Sarai's barren. She can't have kids. We tried, God. No kids. Uh, so, so yeah, that, that's not going to work, God. But see, Abraham knew, or Abram knew 
the promise maker. He'd heard a great promise, but I believe that Abram knew who the promise maker was that was talking to him. Okay? Look at verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1 again. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, the Lord, the eternal one, the self-existing one, Jehovah, God himself is making this impossible promise. The God who does not lie, who cannot lie, has given Abram a promise, a seemingly impossible promise, but for a God that created all the world and all that's in it in six days, for the God that destroyed the world because of, of wickedness with a flood and repopulated the earth with a single family, that God, that's the God that is talking to Abram right now. And Abraham realizes and recognizes this. And so what does Abram do? Because he knows who God is, not because of who, who he thinks he is. See, Abram didn't act on who Abram thought Abram was. Abram acted on who God was. When Abram got up in, in verse 4, and it says, and, and so Abram departed, as the Lord said. When Abram got up and he's like, all right, honey, let's go pack up the, uh, well, not the kids, pack up the animals, because they had a lot of animals. Pack up the animals, pack up the sheep, pack up the servants, because Abram was, was wealthy. Pack up everybody. Let's go get out of here. Lot, you coming with me? Awesome. Let's go. And they went. Abram didn't go and say, well, uh, I'm going to fulfill this promise. He went knowing that God would fulfill his promise. Okay? I'm sure that Lot asked him questions and said, uh, Uncle Abram, what are you doing? Well, man, I'm, I'm leaving. Where are you going? I don't know. Why are you going? Oh, let me tell you why. The reason I'm going is that God, which God? Because Ur of the Chaldees had gods. Little G. Who, which God told you? Oh, the, the God. The I am, the self-sufficient one, the, the eternal one, the one that made everything that you're looking at right now, the one that made the stars in the heavens, uh, the one that, that destroyed the earth with that flood, the one that used Noah and his family to repopulate the earth, uh, that one, that God told me to go, and he made me a promise that I'm going to have kids, and from those kids, we're going to have a nation. And, and, and lots of but. I imagine lots of, but, but Abram, you're, you're old. <laughs> and, and Abram probably didn't say, ah, I know, but I can do it. Abram probably said, yeah, but God, God made the promise. Uh, but you've been trying to have kids for a long time. And, and, and Abram, I'm sure, didn't respond, oh, yeah, but, but Sarai's going to be able to do it now, you know, you know, will herself to have children. No, I'm pretty sure that Abram would have responded, yeah, but God, God said it's going to happen. God said it's going to happen, so it's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen. So, so we're going to go follow God wherever it is that he leads us. And, and he gets up and he goes. And, um, and look, Abram identified himself as a follower of God. And that's what it all goes back to. Our, our choices that we make mainly usually, I'd probably say, safe to say, always follow the way we identify in certain things. If Abram would have identified as an old man with a barren wife, he wouldn't have gone. If Abram would have identified as, as an old man with a barren wife, Abram would have never gotten up and left. But he did identify 
as a follower of God. And because he identified as a follower of God, he got up and followed God. And later we see, we see Abram, 25 years later. Now he's 100 years old. And God says, Abram, it's time. I'm going to give you a son. And you know what? Abram was like, woo! And you know what? He identified not as a 100-year-old man. He identified as someone who was about to have a son. Sarai, on the other hand, I did not identify as someone who was about to have a son. She heard the news and went, <laughs> that's funny, God. I'm barren and old. And that's how she identified. So she laughed it off. And God saw the laughter, right? But we know the story. God's promises come through. And Abram, and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, had a child named Isaac. Now listen, before that though, Abraham had adopted a different identity. See, before Isaac was ever born, years into the promise, and he'd not seen a down payment yet, he'd not seen any, any kind of issue of this promise, he'd just been following God wherever God told him to go, and he's wandering around, living like a, like a pilgrim. It's all over the place. And... and and Sarah had identified, had been identifying as an old barren lady. And she said, Abraham, you know what? I'm never going to have kids. Notice she wasn't seeing God as who God really was. She wasn't seeing herself as how God saw her. The carrier of the future promise. Or of this promise. Um, she didn't see herself as that. She saw herself as an old barren lady. And so she goes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I have a servant. Her name is Hagar. Um, why don't you go into my servant and, and y'all can have kids. And that way, that's the way that God will keep that promise. And, and, and Abraham, instead of, identifying, instead of identifying himself as someone who follows God and leaves the promise keeping up to God, Abraham now identified himself as, I'm going to figure out this thing and help God. I'm going I'm to keep the promise for God. They had a son, Abraham and, and Hagar, and his name was Ishmael. He was not the son of the promise. And so now, years later, Abraham is now identifying once again as a follower of God, and, and it's been 20 years since the original, 25 years since the original promise, and God says, Abraham, you're going to have a son named Isaac. And about 18 to 20 years later, Isaac is, is now a young man, and... Um, Anywhere, anywhere from 13, age 13 to age 18 or 20 is what I've read from different commentaries, is the, is the age of Isaac. And God tells Abraham, Abraham, I need you to take the son of the promise, the son that you love. I need you to take Isaac up to a mountain, and I need you to build an altar, and you need to sacrifice Isaac as a burnt offering. I need you to kill him. It's your only son. But I need you to kill him. And Abraham had a choice. He either identifies as a follower of God, a follower of a God who keeps his promises, or he identifies himself as, well, God's making a mistake, so I'm going to fix it somehow, like he tried to earlier. The Bible says that Abraham got up early in the morning and took Isaac 
And they went, and he laid Isaac down on an altar. And as he was raising his dagger and his knife to slay Isaac, and God stops him and says, Abraham, now I know that you're faithful. Now I know that you have faith. Now I know that you trust me. And, and God knew that Abraham trusted him, but Abraham needed to know to what extent Abraham trusted God. And he says, hey, look behind you. There's a ram caught in the thicket. Sacrifice that instead. And, and, and he does. But we act upon what we identify as. And God gives us promises. And we as Christians need to understand that God has a plan for our lives. God's plan for your life and my life may not be to make a nation out of me. Okay? I have five kids and that's it. I don't think we're going to make a nation out of five kids. Okay? My sister tried harder. She has nine now. All right? So maybe she's trying to make a nation. I don't know. My brother was like, nope, just one. But... It may not be that God's trying to make a nation out of me. But I know God has a promise for me. I want you to see this promise, and I didn't put it on the, on the screens, but if you'll go there to Proverbs chapter uh, uh, 3. Proverbs chapter 3. These are my dad's life verse. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. My dad's life verse, some of the first verses I learned because they're my dad's favorite. And it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. You know what? From this verse and from so many other verses in the Bible, God has a path. I can deduce that God has a path for us to take. That God has a plan for us to take. Okay? Uh, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart is the first thing God tells us to do. Hey, trust in me. With all your heart, trust in me. Okay? Give me all your heart and trust. Why should I trust God with all my heart? Okay? The world now tells you, go with your gut. Trust your heart. But Jeremiah says, uh, God tells Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We can't even know our own heart. Our heart is deceitful above, our thing, uh, above all things. Uh, we can't even know. Studies have been done about lies and deceitfulness, and, and it, we can lie to ourselves so much that we create the image of the lie so well in our minds that we begin to believe the lie that we've invented our own self. It's crazy. God knew it from the beginning. And he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So he tells Solomon to write these words down. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, every step you take, acknowledge him. That doesn't just mean like, yes, I know that there's a God, so now I'm going this way. No, it means get God involved in your decision making. Get God involved in the things that you do. Uh, Acknowledge who God is in your life. Uh, Not just like a little nod, okay, yeah, there's a God. No, get God involved in your daily everything. And then verse 6 says, In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. When you trust God with all your heart, 
when you're willing to lean on him completely, when you're willing, willing to live your life on the daily through him, God's going to direct your path. That, that step that you take is going to be directed by God. And, and, and some people will tell you, and everything will be prosperous, you'll have money and safety. Wrong. It's not. Abraham was wealthy. But you know, Abraham never had a house. Never. He lived in a tent. He moved from place to place. But you know what? That was God's plan. Because in the end, God said, Abraham, everywhere your foot steps, that's going to be the land that I'm going to give to your nation. Man, if I had Abraham, I'd have been running everywhere. And I don't run. I'd have been like donkeying or horsing or cameling or something everywhere. It'd been like, ha foot there, foot there. This is mine. This is mine. Future mine. All right. That's an awesome promise. But had Abraham just like been like, oh, I think I'm going to build a house here. You know, Isaac's inheritance and Israel's inheritance would have been like that. As far as land goes. But Abraham followed God and walked around everywhere. Just, just went everywhere that God told him to, be, to, to go. And that was, that's why it's called the promised land for the Israelites. Because God promised it to Abraham for the Israelites, for his descendants. And look, Abraham identified as chosen by God. Abraham identified himself as, as a follower of God. He lived like God was guiding him because it was so. He understood God is guiding my paths. Now, now Abraham had a relationship with God. And Abraham wasn't perfect. We find a good record of the times where Abraham was unfaithful to the Lord. Okay? When Abraham started off his journey, he knew that God was the one in, the, in charge. But later he tried to take matters in his own hands and slept with his wife's servant Hagar all right? uh, uh, to have a child that way. At that point, Abraham identified himself not as a follower of the Lord, but as the driving force in God's plan. You know what? The driving force in God's plan for your life is God. It's not you. It's God. God is the driving force of his plan in your life. Um, when he had a falling out with his nephew Lot that, went, that accompanied him on the journey, he decided to let Lot take the first choice. And Lot, of course, chose the best land. They said, hey, we're going to split ways. If you go east, I'll go west. You go north, I'll go south. Pick where you're going to go, and I'll go the opposite way, Abraham said. And he did this in a humble spirit. And Lot said, he looked out, and he's like, man, that land over there looks amazing. It's great for cattle. It's great to raise a family on. I'm, I'm going this way. I'm going to take all of this. And Abraham said, fine. And Abraham took second choice. Okay? But he identified there as someone who was being taken care of by Almighty God. But then, when he lied to the Pharaoh of Egypt and told him that Sarah was his sister... Instead of his wife, because Abraham was like, if I tell Pharaoh that Sarah's my sister, or that Sarah's my wife, he's going to kill me so that he can marry her. Because even at like 80-something years old, evidently, Sarah was a good-looking woman. All right? And Abraham was like, hey, when we get there, tell him you're my sister. All right? And, uh, and so, so she does. And Abraham's like, yeah, she's my sister. And so Pharaoh's like, oh, I like your sister. Come, come here, sister of Abraham. And then God starts punishing the Pharaoh, and he's like, what is going on? And, uh, oh, that's not, that's your wife. Get out of here. It's effect, it, it, yeah, Abraham saved his life, but he, he lost a testimony. He, he negatively affected a nation. 
he identified himself as someone who was responsible for his own protection instead of someone who was being protected by Almighty God. And so often we identify as the ones that are in charge of our lives. Uh, God tells us to do things or leads us down certain paths. We, We try to fight. We try to reason with God. We argue. Many times we outright refuse to do what God wants us to do. And it's because we don't identify as people whom God has a plan for. Do you understand that God has a plan for you? If you don't, you need to. God has a plan for you. From the littlest to the oldest, God has a plan for you. If you're drawing breath, God has a plan for you. You could be laid up, uh, 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 paralyzed in a bed, and you can't move your own self. If you're drawing breath, God has a plan for you. And, uh, and you just need to identify as that. One of the, one of the strongest testimonies I heard, uh, and I won't share it all, was about, of a lady who was paralyzed from the neck down because she had had polio. Yet contracted polio. Her own pastor came to her after she had gotten out of the hospital after, I want to say it was six or nine months being in the hospital. Um, she gets out. She's able to go home. but She can't move without extreme pain. And her own pastor comes to her and says, uh, uh, Mrs. So-and-so, <clears throat> we, uh, we took a vote at the church, and we'd like you just not to come back. And, uh, and she said, well, why? Well, people are, people are scared. Because polio back then was a big, big thing. People were scared of it. And, and we'd just rather you not come back. And she says, well, would you pray for me that God would have me do something? Would you pray that I would find what God has planned for me? And this pastor said to this lady, God is done with you. Uh, she went on. <laughs> in that same city, just a year or so later, to build the biggest bus route that city had ever seen. 35 buses eventually filled every Sunday for free. They weren't the church's buses. They were the bus company's buses. She went to the bus company, and and it took her 45 minutes to get in the door because she couldn't walk. She had her son help her. Took her 45 minutes to get in the door. The president of the company was looking at her out the window and just looking at her. He, she finally gets into the meeting with him. She says, you're going to give us buses. And he goes, no. And eventually he said, okay, I'll give you a bus because I saw how, far, how hard you worked for it there at her new church. And uh, she says, oh, we need drivers too. Eventually, 35 buses were being filled every Sunday. Families were being touched by the ministry of this lady who went to a church. A pastor came and said, hey, some people told me that I'm starting a church here. Some people told me that you were somebody that needed prayer. Uh, she says, oh, what's your church like? He goes, it's new. It's just my family. <laughs> she says, well, you have two families now if you'll take us. And, oh, great. And do you have a Sunday school teacher? No. Well, you have one if you'll take me. And built a bus ministry on that. Somebody who was told you're useless. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. But so often we identify as somebody who has a plan for me. I I have a plan for me. And God, if your plan matches up with my plan, great. And if it doesn't, too bad. But Lord, I wasn't planning on doing that. I wasn't planning on giving that. I wasn't planning on going there. (laughs) However, when we identify as a child of God, 
as a child of God that loves us, wants his glory and our good, we'll go where he leads us. And you know what? It may lead us to the paths of Abram with wealth and promises for generations to come. And it may lead us to paths of the disciples with, with imprisonment, with, with, uh, with death. But I guarantee you that none of the disciples would ever trade their following the Lord for anything. And listen, at the end of your life, you wouldn't trade a faithful following of the Lord for anything. Nobody could give you an amount of money that you'd trade it for. But don't wait to the end of your life to say, okay, God, I'll wait till Abraham's age, 75. No, go now. God has a plan for you now. And if you live your life as someone who God has a plan for, God will do great things in you. And you know what? They may not be great in the eyes of the world. But being a great parent isn't necessarily leaving your kids with lots of money. If you leave your kids with a knowledge of who God is, of what the gospel is, and an example of a gospel lived out in front of them, you've been a great parent. And it takes a step to say, okay, I'm going. And and you may not know where God is guiding you right now. You may not know why God is telling you to do certain things and leading you to do certain things. But in the end, what is the greatest promise? And we'll close with this. Go to Psalm chapter 16. Psalm chapter 16. Listen, maybe a Klondike bar wouldn't have been good enough for Abraham to follow God. Maybe $20 million isn't enough for you to put your... your, your uh, your um, life in the hands of, uh, of God. But listen, there's so much more to it than the Klondike bar, $20 million. Abram thought that his inheritance was, the greatest part of his inheritance was, um, was a nation that wouldn't be able to be counted for the descendants. But that wasn't, the greatest inheritance. David puts it amazingly. He says this, Psalm chapter 16, or Psalm 16, verse 1, we'll read through 5, it says, uh, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my God. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied uh, that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will, not, uh, I will not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. This, verse 5, is where David acknowledges and realizes what his inheritance is. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance. Keep that verse up there. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance. You know what, David, David had been made a promise when he became king, when he was anointed, that God was going to keep him on the throne of Israel and his descendants on the throne of Israel forever. And it was going to be through David's line that the Messiah was going to come. That's awesome. But you know what, when it came down to it, David said, the best part of my inheritance is God. The best part of Abraham's inheritance was his relationship with God. You know what, the best part of God's plan for your life and my life is a relationship 
with God. Who else other than people that have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior can claim sonship and daughtership of an almighty God that doesn't just save them from hell, but brings them in as part of the family. Not as a son. Oh, that's the adopted one. No, no, that's my son. That's my daughter. That's who God says we are. That's the co-heir with my only begotten son, Jesus Christ. He's co-heir. She's co-heir of all the benefits that I give with Christ. Nobody else can say that. And yet we live our lives as if we had a better plan than God. As if we had better outlooks than God. Listen, who do you identify as? What do you identify as when it comes to the charge of your life? As someone who God is in charge of or someone who you're in charge of? Let's bow our heads. We'll close in prayer. I hope this evening you can say, the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Can you say that this evening? If not, tell God as we pray to dismiss and as we pray to conclude this Bible study. Just deal with God however God's dealing with you.